following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We just, um, we often don't give you the reverence you're worthy of. We often don't fear you in awe and respect and admonition and admiration. Lord, forgive us when we um, were way too casual. We know that John's testimony and revelation is that, that he fell down like a dead man in your presence that you are this glorified king, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus, you are the Christ and you are Lord. Oh, that you would get this, this attitude and this expression of worship from us, not just, not just in our words, but in the meditations of our hearts. Lord, that, that our lives would truly be for you, that we would sing your song and not ours, that we would be in rhythm with you and keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. You've done great things, Lord, great things for us. You are so worthy of our praise and our and and our and our thanksgiving and and the list goes on. Lord, I, I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you'd have us, that you would truly seed our hearts with truth. And that um, that it would it would motivate us to fruitfulness, to to live, to walk for your glory and fame. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that it's your work to be done in this place at this moment, through this frail instrument and in our hearts, to uh, to bring understanding, to remind us of everything that Jesus said, and to lead us into all truth. To write your word upon our hearts, and. Um, to show us your will, your way. And, uh, and so we, uh, we crave, we crave that, that work, that sanctifying work to be done in us today. And we thank you in advance for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, grab your Bibles and turn with me. We're in Luke chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' baptism this morning. Uh, I'm excited about what the Lord has uh, given uh, and imparted and excited to share that with you. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot in this text, um, but I, I want to begin with uh, just uh, for sake of context, I want to I want to kind of look at the, f- the three verses that we that we looked at last week. Um, and just very briefly, just share kind of how the, I hope this happens for you, too, that that God's word continues to to unpack itself uh, as you uh, continue to meditate on it uh, going forward as it's revealed to you. And then as you meditate on it, it just continues to um, unpack the heart of God and the, the, the mysteries and the wonders and the and the intentions of God. Um, and this week, this text is, I, I want to share this with you, but I want to read the passage first. So uh, I'm going to read 15 to 17, which is the precursor to, to 18 to 22, which is our passage for this morning. Uh, but I'm going to read this as a reminder for context, and then I have a challenge. Um, as the people were in expectation, um, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I, I baptize you with water, but he, <laughs> he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. At men's uh, breakfast, uh, what, do we, what we do at men's breakfast uh, on uh, on Fridays is we, we kind of share what the Lord kind of gave us through the sermon and we just kind of unpack the text a little bit more, really aiming at application. And, um, and the question that the Lord gave me to ask was, and Sheba and I have talked about this before. I remember where we were sitting when we did 
Uh, what if Jesus came back at midnight tonight? What if, I mean, I mean, we don't know the hour, that the time. In fact, Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse, you know, verses 5 and 6, he says, you know, don't worry about all that. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will, he will empower you to be my witnesses, starting right here and going to the ends of the earth. But, like, we know he's coming back. We're called to be ready. We're called to be alert. Uh, we're, we're called to, to have a posture of, like, oil in our lamp. Like, you know, when he comes, not if. And I'm always in a, in a state of preparation or readiness. So, question, if you knew, like if just, Jesus said, I don't even know, only the Father, but, but if you knew that tonight's the night, midnight, the, the midnight cry, the trumpet's gonna sound, Christ is gonna open the, the heavens and receive his bride, if you knew that was tonight, and that he's going, going to also bring the justice of fire upon the earth, an unquenchable eternal fire, that is the consequence of those that have rejected them, him, though he's invited them in. What would you do with the next 13 hours? That's what we should be doing. That's what you should be doing all the time. Now, look, let me say this because, you know, like it was spoken of in First Thessalonians, that they thought, they were told, they believed based on the three weeks of ministry that they were given, that, oh, Christ is coming, it's imminent. It's like any moment, so we're not going to work, we're going to give up our jobs, and we're going to, you know, which was, Paul says, a horrible witness to the world. So that, just so you know, that's, that's, that's not, that shouldn't be on the list, right? Like, um, and I'm, I'm going to go, sp- I'm going to borrow as much money as I can. You know, it's the Armageddon, you know, movie all over again. But like, but here's the thing, like, what, you know, I, I would share the gospel with my friends unapologetically. I would, I would let everybody I know, know that I love them and God loves them. And, and the list goes on that there it is. There it is. That's, that's what we should be doing in readiness in a, say, in a sense of he's coming back all the time. So our text continues. I just don't want to move too far away from that because I, I think we need to be reminded, man, that this is an eternal fire. This is an unquenchable fire that those that are outside of, that are far from God, that are outside the kingdom because they haven't trusted Christ as Lord and he, he, their savior is going to experience forever. This is why God is in a patient posture that, 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 that none should perish. That's the heart of God. Picking up in verse 18, it says, and this is our passage for this morning. So with many other exhortations, speaking of John, he preached good news, the gospel to the people. But, Herod. Now this Herod is Herod Antipas, right? This is the only one. This is, this is one of the boys of Herod the Great, uh, one of the three uh, tetrarchs of the, of the Galilean area, the Palestine area. And this Herod is the only Herod that was literally um, governing throughout the entire lifespan of Jesus, right? He started in BC 4 and ended in AD 39. Right, he was far enough away from his dad that he probably kind of avoided all of that. But, um, but this is Herod Antipas, and it says, "Who had been reproved by him, being John, for Herodias." Now, who's this Herodias? We'll find in another text that this is his brother Philip's wife. Not only that, she is his niece. Right, so this is wrong on multiple levels. And, uh, and John mentions that. And it says, it tells us here that Herodias is his brother's wife, his brother Philip, by the way, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because I won't get to this later. Is that, you know, we've mentioned that John was about 30 years old. He was six months older than Jesus, right? And we see in verse 23, which is the next verse after this text, that Jesus, it says Jesus was about 20, uh, 30 years old, 
right? So John is a young man, and in, in Levitical law, like, you, you couldn't enter into the priesthood until you were 30. And so this is like the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. He's 30, John's... So let's keep in mind that John's ministry was very brief. Like, he was preparing hearts through repentance, but, like, was preparing for this, you know, born with the Holy Spirit, but preparing for this all his life, and then he comes to the to the occasion, he prepares the way, and then we're going to see in the text it says, and all were baptized, including Jesus. I mean, this is now, his his ministry has come to conclusion. He's been actually protected by Herod. It says, out of fear for people and for John as a holy man. And uh, and now his ministry comes to an end, and that's got to be, I mean, in one sense, in John chapter 3, we see that he's like, this is my greatest joy because I'm the I'm the friend of the I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Like I'm excited. He's on the stage, and I, and every, my whole life is meant to point to him. So I must decrease that he might increase, right? But but we also see later on he he, he sends some of his disciples who still think he might be the Messiah while he's in prison, and says, "Are you the one, or should we or should we expect someone else?" So, I mean, you, he's wrestling with this later on. And, and one of the things that, that, that kind of leapt off the page for me in this is um, God gets to determine the, the end of our life, the start and end of our ministries. He gets to determine, and, and that's a good thing, right? But it can be a hard thing, too, that God gets to, he gets to number our days. And, uh, and he determines when our ministries start and stop. And so here, here's just something I'd, I'd love for us to embrace as a church family. is that to live as Christ, to die is gain. To really have a different perspective that, that, that to die is, is really to, like, like that's God saying, it's time for you to come home. It's, it's, it's time for you to come home. And, and, and well done, good and faithful servant. But but he determines, the, and it's not something to be for the believer. You know, perfect love casts out all fear, because fear has to do with punishment. We don't we don't fear the punishment of any sin because Christ covered all of our sin as our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. And so so we we don't we don't have to have any fear of death. But like Paul says in in, in Philippians one twenty three says, it's better by far that I would go to be with the Lord. And and when we embrace that, we don't live, we don't throw ourselves in front of the train, so to speak, but we live a fearless life. We live a life because we don't have to save our life because it's already been saved. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? Like it's, it, we give our life for the glory of God the way Jesus gave his life for God's glory and our, our salvation, our benefit. And so, like, if you try to save your life, what happens? But if you lose your life, what does that mean? You lose your life for, it says, in two different accounts, it says, for my sake or for the gospel's sake, you'll save it. Jesus says in, in Luke 9, he says, deny yourself. What does that mean? That means to say no to me, my, my pursuit of pleasure, my, 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 my selfish desires, which really is what James chapter 4 says causes all the quarrels and fusses among us. To, to say no to you so you can say yes to him. Isn't that exactly what Jesus modeled for us in the garden? He said, before he said your will be done, he said not my will. And so he says there in John, John 9 verse 23, he says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Like, as if, like, if you don't deny yourself and take up your cross daily, the follow me can't happen. And so, John is, I, I believe, this is kind of the culmination of his, of his purpose, why he was designed. And, and guys, when you say, wow, that's a, that's a young guy, 30 years old. Right? Like filled with the Holy Spirit, unique in all of God's creation. Like, wow, I mean, God, you couldn't come up with some more stuff for him to do, you know? But God, God had, God had a purpose. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Like, I mean, like that, God had a purpose. And don't, don't, let me ask you this morning, I mean, do you really believe this? That God's way is better than your way? That God's will is better than your will? 
And, and do you find sometimes that your will and God's will kind of come, come, kind of run into each other? And, and those are the moments that we, that we really exercise our faith. You know, I, uh, you'll, you'll, listen, true submission isn't when you agree with what the leader's asking you to do. True submission is when you disagree with what the leader's asking you to do and you do it anyway. Luke 5, we see an example of this, right? Peter fished all night. He's like, man, I want to go home, go to bed. I'm discouraged. I caught nothing. But because you said so, Lord, and when they had done so. So it's just, it's relenting to God's word. And that's, guys, please hear this. That's when the power comes. Please hear that. The power, like if you're waiting for the power to change your your your, your intentions. No, it's when we, it's when we, by faith, submit to God's word and God's will that, that, that we're given the power to see it realized. And, and it won't, you won't have the understanding because that's why faith is required. I mean, you start making your pros and cons list and you're already, you're already halfway to the back seat, right? So, I just think it's interesting. We see the end of John's ministry here. He's locked up in prison. And, you know, at this point, if we stay in the context, you know, if we don't stay in the context, we, we, we know, right? We know he loses his head. That, that, I'm sure that was easy. I'm sure that wasn't a, a frightful experience. You know, but I believe there's a grace that comes for the saint in that moment like Stephen experienced. I think there's a grace there that overshadows all of that as we exercise our faith and trust that he is with us. Do you know that that's the very thing that, that we're told in First in Timothy is the antidote to, um, or, or it's, the, it's the way that we find contentment, is, is but being reminded that he's with us, that he's with us. Like, what do we need if he's with us? What do we lack if he's with us? Right? And, uh, and it's that, that understanding. So, so min- we see John's ministry coming to a head here. And then in 21 it says, Now when all the people were baptized. Another statement that his ministry has been fruitful, but final. And when Jesus also had been baptized. So Luke speaks of it in retrospect. Somewhat more comprehensive, but, but c- concise. When Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Now, this is only in Luke and was praying. And do you know that this is, there's seven times in the gospel that we see this, where Jesus was praying. And you know what the, the fruit of this moment is? The Father speaks to him. Can I just pause for a moment here? Like, Marty and I were having a great conversation this morning. And, you know, People say all the time, man, God's not speaking to me. I'm not hearing from God. Well, guess who moved? Like, sometimes it's a posture of not being still and knowing or listening, but, but sometimes it's just proximity. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's times in my household where Sheba, not, Sheba and I are talking and one of us kind of wanders off to do something and, and it's like, oh, I think she's still talking, you know, and I have to go, but I have to get back close again to hear and understand what she's saying. And maybe, maybe we just need to get near. Like, guys, um, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Right? Like, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Like, God, God is wanting to impart his heart and his, his, his will and his word to us. But are we, like, how's your prayer life? How's your time? Like, I mean, like, time with the Lord. Not these quick, you know, God, I got a list again for you. Let me, let me rehearse what, what's going on in mine and other people's lives. But like, just seeking the heart of the Father and just sitting in a posture of listening. Get, like, getting near. Like, how, how is it any different than any other relationship in our life? Doesn't it require proximity in order to have intimate conversation? And, and if it's really intimate stuff, we got, we got to, we got to get close. You know, 
It says here that he was baptized. We know based on the, the, the Matthew 3 account of this, which we'll look at in a minute, that immediately he went up out of the water. And then what is his posture? Prayer. And what happens at that moment? God's spirit shows up and God's voice becomes evident to him and to John. See, he was walking in the Father's will and he was seeking the Father in prayer. And this is where God meets him intimately, remains on him and speaks to him, speaks over him, like tells him how pleased he is and and declares who he is. Do you ever need to be reminded who you are in Christ? I I think I shared recently where, where God just, like in this worship moment, this rich, like, worship moment where I just heard the sweet voice, not audible. I just want to be clear on that. But like, I love you. Do you know from that moment forward, I get John now, the disciple John, the one in whom Jesus loved. Like, I'm convinced that the Father loves me. Do you know that does for us? We're We're not needy. We're not looking for the world to love us. Now, I I fail in that a lot, but I'm convinced that God loves me. It says here that Jesus was praying, baptized and was praying. The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus was praying when that all went down. Let me let me share Matthew 3 with you because we'll unpack this text, but I want to kind of give you context from other Gospels so we pull in the nuances that are... Do you do that when you study the Bible? Do you do that, especially in the Gospels? Do you do you look for the other accounts to get a fuller picture of, of, what, of what God wants us to know? Well, in Matthew 3, 13 to 17, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee. That's new information. In fact, if you look at Mark, it says from Nazareth of Galilee. So we're told that to the Jordan, to John. Listen, man, when, 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 when first century Jewish ears hear Jordan, you know what they hear? Promised land. That, that's, that's, that's the body of water. That's the, that's the baptism into his kingdom, into his promises, right? And isn't that so perfect to be baptized by him? John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So John's baptism was a baptism of what? And repentance, right? Like it was repentance. And repentance was the way that hearts were prepared to receive Jesus' mission and ministry. And that hasn't changed. You want to know how you continue to to receive? It says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Malachi says, says this. He says, return to me and I will return to you. Right? So like... This is, this is a, this is a key component in our walk with the Lord is, is repentance ushers us back into, you know, fellowship. I mean, our, the Holy Spirit's not taken from us, but we sure can experience, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a distant, feeling the distance when, when we're walking in sin. And so his ministry was a ministry of repentance. But what was unique about John is John was filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. And if Jesus' ministry to the saint is, is he will give you the Holy Spirit, and John had the Holy Spirit, then why is John saying, I need to be baptized by you? I don't know if you thought about that. Like, why, why is he saying that? Like, I mean, we get why he's saying, I, <laughs> there's no way I should be baptizing you. I mean, like, <laughs> who needs to baptize you? You're sinless. Right, like, and 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 he was so aware of that. I mean, he's the one that declared, "You're, you're the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." But in this in this moment, you know what John is saying? Because this baptism, which we'll talk, I got six points for you on the the primary purpose of Jesus' baptism here in just a minute. But like, the reason that the reason that John said he needed to be baptized by him, think about it. Like, the what is what does Jesus' baptism point to? His baptism. Jesus refers to his baptism as his death, burial, and resurrection. You'll see this in Matthew 12:50. Like he 
That's his baptism. And this, this is a picture of what he was going to do in order to redeem humanity. And John is saying, that's what I need. Because John was not, though filled with the Holy Spirit, John wasn't sinless. John, I believe, walked in repentance. I mean, clearly modeling his ministry. I mean, we, 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 we would assume that, but I mean, I think that's a fair assumption. But yet, you know, if you were, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. I mean, like, he, he would have acknowledged, acknowledged that and, and, but, and this is what he longed for. It's the very thing that Christ's baptism pictured. So this is what he says to Jesus. And then in verse 15, he says, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us. At first glance, we think that's John and Peter. I mean, John and uh, Jesus. But the us here, if you study it through, is the Trinity. The tr- it's God who brings about the work of righteousness. Right? He says, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Who fulfilled all righteousness? For I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Because we can't, none are righteous, not even, not one. Right? We can't fulfill the righteousness of God. But but through Christ, right? Second Corinthians five twenty one tells us that we now in Christ are the righteousness of God. So he came to fulfill all right to meet all the requirements of the law in order to impart his righteousness to us by faith. By faith. An act of grace on God's behalf. It says this. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were, Mark says, torn. Torn. Like, this is interesting because there's three other accounts where the heavens were torn open. In, in Acts chapter 7, we see when, when Peter, excuse me, when Philip, uh, excuse me again, Stephen <laughs> is uh, amongst the Sanhedrin and he's given him a history lesson and he's on the precipice of his stoning. It says he looked up into heaven and it says it was torn open and he saw Jesus standing. The only time we see that, standing at the right side of the Father, the the right hand side of God. Uh, Ezekiel attests to uh, a tearing open uh, in prophetic language, but we see it again in prophetic language from John in Revelation. He, He literally says, and the heavens were torn open. Right? And so... This is, this is imagery that's not just familiar to this particular text. It's right here, torn, open, and it says, to him. You know, it seems like the only two that really are uh, aware of what's happening is Jesus and John. John, because this is the actual um, validation that God told him to look for to say, this is the guy. He, wa- he was looking for this sign and God revealed this sign that the spirit will come down and he will remain on him. This is how you know who the son of man is. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. Well, let's look at John's account because John helps us even get further nuance says, now, John's account's in retrospect. John's account speaks of this in the past. And he says, the next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold. Like, can you imagine how he said this? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, look, Israel would have been very familiar with Lamb of God. Like the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. Um, you, you know, th- this would have been a familiar... But to put that together... Like the sacrificial lamb, this and the Messiah, that would have been that would have really blown their mind, because their Messiah was coming to do deliverance and be this military political leader, and not to come and sacrifice his life unless they look at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and many other texts. And so he says, "Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who takes." Away the sin of the world. <laughs> this is he of whom I said, 
After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is much like what Jesus was saying, you know, before Abraham I was, right? I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, speaking of his mission, for this purpose I came baptizing with water that what? He might be revealed to Israel. Guys, we continue the the ministry of pointing people to Jesus of through our lives and through the ministry that God uniquely has given each one of us. And together we point to him. That's what changes people's lives. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit to spend, this is in retrospect, from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. That's the second time that he said that. Let me tell you what he means by that. It's not that, I mean, this, he was a relative of John's, right? He probably knew what Zechariah experienced in the temple and what Mary and Martha experienced during their pregnancies. I mean, they, he, he knew their testimony, but what it's talking about, remember when Jesus says at the, at the day when he returns, he says, depart from me for I did not know you. Do you think God knows everything about you? Jesus Yes. And then his glorified state, is he not omniscient? Yes. But what it's talking about is intimacy. That's for, for, for Adam knew Eve and came, and, and there came forth Seth. Like it's, it's, it's a statement is we are, we're, we're not intimate. John was not intimate with Jesus and was not convinced of who he was until the very thing that God said would identify him transpired. And that's what he's saying there. He says this, but the father, but he, speaking of the father, who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this, this is John's testimony, is the son of God. And so this was the the great segue in his life, right? His ministry, he had done what he was called, wired, and created to do, to point to the Savior, to prepare the way through repentance and baptism. And now he says it's his joy to step aside. That's him. That's the guy. And let me tell you that that two of of his disciples was John, the disciple, later disciple of Jesus, and Andrew. They were disciples of John the Baptist. And when, when, when he points to Jesus, they're like, okay, we're gone. Like, I mean, they, they literally chased him down and said, like, like, it sounds like a weird question, but they said, where are you staying? But, but think about, it's so sweet because they're basically saying, we want to, we want to be with you. And Jesus said, what? Come and see. (laughs) That's our God. So let's dive into this. So like, so the, the first part of this text, 18 to 20, says, So with many ex- uh, other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, John the Baptist, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So later on in Matthew and in Mark, we get further understanding of what is going on here. So in Matthew 14, 3 through 5, it says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful. What he means is, it is not God's will for you to have her. Clearly described in his word. And though he wanted to put him to death. Now, I think that's interesting because later on we're going to realize that Herodias had the same aim, right? Like, they just want to kill him. What has he done? He's pointed out their sin. So here's the question I want to ask you. When your sin gets pointed out in God's word, through the Holy Spirit, this is one of the three major ministries of the Holy Spirit, comfort, counsel, conviction, which is a gift, by the way. Without without conviction, there's no change like it's it's really a gift to us but how we respond to it's critical so we see kind of herod's response to this much like we see in as it's written so beautifully in john chapter one light came into the world but we hate light because it exposes our darkness so we want to put out the light and that's that was herod and herodias's kind of approach to 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 their to their sin being exposed or spoken of and 
it's it's kind of cool because when you look at the contrast to like those that came to, to John's ministry and he was preaching and it says the tax collectors and the and the temple guard and and others the crowd when he spoke these things to them they said what must we do like they were they were they were convicted like it says at Pentecost they were cut to the heart what must we do so here it says that um, it is not lawful, uh, lawful God's will for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people. Wouldn't it have been a whole better thing to do than just to fear the Lord there? And, and that would clearly change his course. And that's a challenge for us, right? Not to fear man, but to fear God. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. By the way, later on, Jesus said that's exactly what he was, a prophet. In Mark chapter 6, 17 to 20, this is more account of this same scenario. Uh, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to, to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. I believe God used that for that season. And when he heard him, he saw he was greatly perplexed, speaking of Herod, yet he heard him gladly. So we see different reactions here to, to, uh, to John's ministry. And I want to ask you a few questions. We see the crowd responding in, what should we do, as I mentioned? And yet Herod tries to silence John. So here's the practical application. How do you respond to conviction and admonishment from others? From the, from the scriptures or directly from the Holy Spirit? Do you justify your actions, rationalize your choices, miss the, the gift of that moment of confession, repentance, and change and transformation? Or, or do you confess your sins and humbly turn to God and ask him for the power to change? I was thinking this morning that um, if we were to, to jump in a fishing vessel, not maybe maybe a pleasure vessel, maybe a, sail, a sailboat, and, uh, and leave... Um, and leave St. Pete, Tampa area, and, and we're going to head to um, to Mexico. Um, would would one degree at our outset would one degree change the outcome once we got to the other side? Here's here's my point. Like okay, so many of you kind of drive by GPS, and uh, and as you drive along, has anybody ever heard turn around? Like you know, like make a U-turn. You know, like <laughs> in, in some for me, it's a little Australian lady's voice. I don't know why. But um, but here's the thing. In order to do that, like so he, think about it this way. Wherever your car is pointing. That's the direction in which you're going. Think about our lives, you know, how we think and what we say. The Bible says that it literally directs our steps. And with a car, a car needs to slow down a bit before it can actually make that turn, if we're using that turn as an example of repentance. And I think sometimes we're moving at such a rate and we're, we're so fixed on our destination that we're unwilling to slow down, maybe pull over, and kind of get some clarity. Do you see where I'm going spiritually here? That this is required in our in our journey, and, and as when when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, when the Word of God brings conviction, yeah, we should have a, a an instant sense of repentance that that desires change. But don't you think it requires some time of prayer, and to slow down, and be ready to change course? Because one degree, as I mentioned with the the the, the, the trip to Mexico, one degree of deviation. You know, as it moves forward exponentially, changes massively when we get to the destination we end up at. And so God is always trying to tweak our course and keep us on that narrow path 
right? And, 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 and our path sometimes looks like this. Repentance, repentance, repentance. You know, well, as we look back, we see this, this, this path that he's made straight. And that's, and that's really, I mean, the quicker we turn, the, the closer we stay to, you know, and you think about it this way, like Israel, the, the, the time it takes to get from Egypt to Canaan, do you know how long it would take by, if you just walked from Egypt to Canaan? It's 11 days, right? 40 years. And you know what the, the scripture says caused that? Disobedience and disbelief. Stiff-necked people, unwilling to turn. And we just got to be quick to change our course, to listen to the make a U-turn. You know, in uh, in Luke 3, 21 and 22, we, we hear this, and this will be the last part of our text. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the, the heavens were torn open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. So we know that there was there was a, a tangible, and it's much like John when he's trying to explain heavenly things in Revelation, it's always like, because there's nothing in, in, in you can't describe heavenly things with earthly things, but then, you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't a dove, and, and the dove is not any particular bird, you know, in general, but it's just giving us, this, this is how it was described. It was like a dove, in bodily form. Like there was a tangible uh, presence of the Holy Spirit that came and uh, like lit on Jesus and remained on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Three times God sta- says this of Jesus. So the Father's words at Jesus' baptism clearly identifies who Jesus was, God's beloved Son. What Jesus was doing, including his baptism by John, totally pleased the Lord. I mean, this, this speaks to us about baptism in general, that us identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection I mean, even as Paul tries to unpack that for us in in Romans chapter 6, he basically says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? He said, God forbid, or, or by no means. And then he says this, we died to sin. How can we live in it? Like, we died to sin. How can we live any longer? And the question would be, well, when do we do that? He says, in your baptism. That baptism was the, the moment. Let's listen to what it says. Listen to what it says here. This is, um, I pick up uh, in 20 of chapter 5 of Romans. Now the law came to in to increase the trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also reigned through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's show off grace by our by sinning, right? Let's, let's sin, you know, that license to sin mentality. By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, immersed into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, were baptized into his death? We were therefore, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. And he says, it goes on to say that we've been united with him in his death through baptism. Like it's pleasing to the Lord because it's a declaration to the world. Let me, let me give you my kind of perception here of baptism. Like when I, It's a ceremony that depicts what is already transpired in your heart and in heaven. And it's telling the world, like when I got married to my wife, um, I was basically telling the world that I died to dating. I'm, I'm dead to any other woman. That, that I am. I am. I am set apart to my bride. And it's the same thing for baptism. I am dying to me. I'm dying to my past. I'm dying to my sinful ways. I'm dying to my nature. Consider it later on. Paul says in chapter six that same passage. But it's identifying with Christ in his death. That's why water baptism is so beautiful in his death. And we can be living sacrifices like death, burial, and resurrection. And so Jesus in his baptism was pointing to all of this to be an example to us, to validate 
you know, John's ministry for sure, but to be an example to us. And God speaks in this moment and says, I'm well pleased. Well pleased. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus was in no way becoming God's son at his baptism. There's, there's theology there for that. I mean, people say that, that's craziness. Like he wasn't becoming God's son in his baptism. Instead, his true identity or his, his nature was being revealed. Jesus' bapti- baptism showed that he was, that he was identifying with sinful men and women without implying that he himself was sinful. Luke uniquely, always through his gospel, emphasizes the humanity of Christ. Jesus was born to humble parents. Uh, His birth was practically unannounced except to shepherds and foreigners. His baptism was the first public declaration of Jesus' ministry. And the, the, the funny thing, instead of going to the temple or being amongst the spiritual elite, who does he choose to identify with? The repentant. How awesome is that? Like Jesus comes and brings his presence among the repentant. I love that. I love that. He identifies himself with those who uh, were repenting of sin. So we draw near to Jesus through repentance. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about like, it basically talks about what repentance looks like. Godly sorrow. Like turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Like it's talking about having a, a repentative mode and, and, and forsake your sin. And in that passage, it talks about this. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like that's, if we, if we understood what, what true repentance is, it's not just turning from our sin. It's drawing near to God. It's turning from that to him, but it's drawing near to him. And that's what Jesus does in this moment. He draws near to the repentative. I love that. If John's baptism was for repentance from sin, why was Jesus baptized? While even the greatest prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the list goes on, had to confess their, their sinfulness and need of repentance, Jesus didn't need to admit sin. He was sinless. Now, listen to these passages. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. Let's not forget that. He made him to be, speaking of the Father, he made him, speaking of Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we in him might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we, but one who in every respect has been Tempted as we are, yet what? Without sin. First John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Please hear that. <laughs> to take the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world, right? And in him there is no sin. Yeah, our sinless Savior, yet he was baptized. So also Jesus didn't need forgiveness. He was baptized for these Specific reasons. If you're taking notes, this is where you need to take notes. If you can't write this fast, go online and get this is all listed for you. But but listen, here's six ideas of why Jesus was baptized. Number one, to confess the sin on behalf of a nation. All the prophets did it. Isaiah, Nehemiah, um, Ezra. We see them. They they confess the sin of a nation. Number two, to fulfill, and the very statement that Jesus makes about this, to fulfill all righteousness in order to accomplish God's mission and to advance God's work in the world. Like, that's the key thing. Jesus' baptism in water was a picture of his work of redemption, as I mentioned. It was, it was through his baptism and suffering on the cross that God fulfilled all righteousness. Look what Luke twelve fifty says. I have a baptism. This is, this is Luke 12. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. This is what Jesus was pointing to. And this is what we point to when we're baptized as well. So number three, to inaugurate his public ministry. Right, Levites came to, to, to start ministry when they were 30 years old to bring the message of salvation to all people. I mentioned earlier, number four, is to validate John's ministry. Number five, to, to identify with the penitent people of God and with humanity. 
to, to, to usher in his priesthood. And number six, to give us an example to follow. Next week, we have a baptism class here on campus, nine o'clock in the office. This is not a requirement for baptism, but it's an opportunity to be more, to become more familiar with this wonderful, um, expression of faith that we declare to the world and, and how we identify with Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, immersion, and, and all of that. It's just such a rich study that I find that the people that go through that when they, when they are baptized are able to celebrate with more vigor and, and enthusiasm and excitement because they understand the implications of the cross. So good. Encourage you to come out, even if it's just for your own edification. But truly, if you're, if you're, if you're looking to be baptized Easter, we, we're going to baptize folks. I mean, God's going to do the baptism, but we're going to get to be a part of a celebration of resurrection on Easter Sunday out at the, out the beach. And I hope you'll come even if you're not being baptized. But let's understand that John's baptism for repentance was different from Christian baptism in the church. Like it's different. I mean, Paul, uh, later on in, in uh, Acts 19, Paul looks at some of John's followers who were baptized by him and said, no, that's you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, and, and who does that, by the way? Jesus. Man, when we start saying, wanting the church to do that, we don't baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's a work that only Christ does by faith in an intimate relationship with one that trusts him. Jesus, the perfect human being, didn't need to be baptized for repentance, but he accepted baptism in obedience to the Father, and he voiced, the Father voiced his approval. The opening of the heavens is spoken of in, like I mentioned, Ezekiel with Stephen in John and Revelation. It's as if the heavens rolled back to reveal the throne of God, like is described in Isaiah 64. We see that. So after the heavens are opened, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. The act of the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove revealed that to John uh, and to Jesus that, that you know, th- this, this is the Son of God. This also signaled, and I love this, this also signaled that the age of the Spirit predicted by the prophet Isaiah was formally starting or beginning. Like that's one of the reasons the Spirit descends in that moment. And we see this. This is, this is the anointing of Jesus, the royal anointing of Christ. Uh, look at Isaiah 11.2. It says this. Again, 700 plus years earlier, prophetically speaking of Christ, the Messiah, it says this, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom to describe the characteristics of God's spirit and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, power and direction and guidance and wisdom and understanding the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Do you know the spirit compels us to, to, to reverence and awe of God? Later on in chapter 42, verse 1 in Isaiah, it says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, my, my son in whom I'm well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So the Holy Spirit's appearance in the form of a dove showed us that God's plan for salvation was centered on the person of Jesus Christ. I love what, what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, remember, Christ was not a deified man, neither was he a humanized God. He was perfectly God, and at the same time, he was perfectly man. Yeah, when you, when you get that all figured out, let me know. I'd love to kind of really help to understand that. In Greek, and the truth is, if we could understand God, he wouldn't be God, right? I mean, um, but... It's it's interesting when you look at when you look at you are my son in whom I'm well pleased uh, the 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 literal Greek translation of that goes like this as for you you are my son the beloved one I mean like we're called sons of God it's very unique to Christ he is the son of God and that is a unique relationship with the father so the the words with you I am well pleased means that the Father takes pleasure in the Son. And do you know that we're in Christ? Like we're in Christ, and if he takes pleasure with his Son, that he takes pleasure with you? I'm not saying that he loves some of the things we do. What I'm saying is, in Christ, he is pleased. The righteousness of God, it's not a fickle status 
that we have in Jesus. Right? That we, we, re, it re, he remains with, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day, for the day of redemption. And that's such good news. The verb in Greek conveys that God's pleasure in the Son is constant. It's constant. He has always taken pleasure in His Son. Always. Jesus did not become the Son of, the Son or the Messiah at His baptism. Jesus already had His, His, His divinity from eternity past. The opened heavens, the dove, the voice revealed, uh, to John the Baptist and to Jesus that, that this was God's Son. Right? Come to earth as the promised Messiah to fulfill prophecy and to bring salvation to all who believe. And why that's important is, as I mentioned earlier, there are times where God's going to remind you, you're mine. I'm yours. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. You're mine. I've adopted you and you're my treasure. Right? Like there are times where, I mean, he speaks that. Do you think that was not edifying for the person of Jesus Christ to say, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased and I love. We also see the Trinity here, right? And it's seven times in the New Testament we see the Trinity depicted. And we see all facets of the tree, all personhoods of the Trinity present, the Godhead in all forms. I want to finish with this uh, piece that I came across in, uh, in one of the commentaries I read this week. And I thought this was really good and challenging. And then I have a challenge for you. Theologians have long been troubled by Jesus allowing himself to be baptized by John. After all, baptism was for sinners. Why did Jesus agree to undergo baptism? He did it because he is both God and man. And in identifying with people, he underwent their baptism, the cross, in his role as God. He both gives the Holy Spirit and receives the anointing of the Spirit as the one and only Son in whom the Father is well pleased. God and man, two natures in one person. He gives the Holy Spirit and life as only God can. He undergoes baptism and even death as only a human can. He represents the sacrifice for sins before the Father and he communicates the Father's love. And then hear this. When you are hurting, not if, but when, depressed, broken, remember, you have a Savior who understands your humanity. Isn't that comforting? Like he's, he's felt it all. And he's making petition. He's your advocate, your mediator before the throne of grace. And when you sin, when you sin, remember, he has paid the price. He has paid the price in full for your disobedience. That is good news. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for the treasure of your word for Jesus, for your your baptism for us, for our sake, that you were willing to suffer the consequences and penalties of our sin in order to make us, to both justify us and to bring justice to sin. That you were willing to, to face all the pain, sorrow, adversity that was ours. And that um, we have the privilege to join you in baptism to declare to the world that I'm no longer my own, but I've been bought with a price. I, I have, I'm dying to me that I might live for thee. And so, Lord, um, I pray that you would continually open our hearts to the fuller understanding of, Lord Jesus, your work, your ministry, your, your advocacy, your mediation for us. Um, and we thank you. It just seems like we could say so much more uh, and it never be enough to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for just the, the glorious God that you are and how faithful you are to us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.